there is this dynamic in entrepreneurial families where mom tends to be like very forward thinking, kind of open-minded about love language, really nurture the relationship. And dad tends to be the entrepreneur who is working all the time, got a million things going on, balancing the family and travel and work. And so there is a disconnect. There is a struggle. That's kind of where I came up with the four P's. Pause, peace, perspective, and purpose. Everybody take a pause, find somewhat of a peaceful place. Perspective, like what actually happened? And then purpose, like what was the purpose of all of that happening? What are we supposed to learn from these interactions? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Tribe of Millionaires podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Gruber, and my job is to dissect peak performance through conversations with some of the most accomplished people on the planet. My goal is to make this tribe your tribe. My guest today, Alexis Dries, is an educator, TEDx speaker, great TEDx talk. You got to check that out. Proud mom, proud wife, and founder of Parent Academy, which we'll dive into. You can find her on IG at, at, at Alexis M. Dries. Alexis, welcome. Good to have you. Jamie, excited to be here. I I, I want to start with this this big word you've used, and it scares me. You've said okay. that kids kids are neurodivergent learners. What does that mean? Excellent question. So not every kid is a neurodivergent learner. Neurodivergence includes things like spectrum uh, disorders, if you will, different types of learning: dyslexia, dysgraphia, uh, dyscalculia. Things that in the past probably went unnoticed because we just didn't have schools that were testing for that or it wasn't becoming relevant. They were just the kids who were kind of behind or, you know, it didn't make sense for them, but they just got pushed along. And so now we're in this time of realizing and recognizing that there's more and more divergent learners, which means that the system of education that we have previously had where we are teaching reading math, spelling in one specific way is reaching a smaller and smaller population of students. Why? Why is it reaching a smaller and smaller? More kids are becoming neurodivergent. Why are they becoming more neurodivergent? So they're recognizing this earlier and earlier. And every once in a while, I'll talk to an adult or I'll have a student whose parent will say something along the lines of, oh, well, yeah, that's kind of always how it's been for me. And I just figured it out. Our brains are amazing. Our brains are wired to figure things out. So they will come up with their own ways. Um, and so we've seen this big, right? Like things like ADD, ADHD on the uprise. Well, that can be a symptom of neurodivergent learning. And so we've taken this like, oh, all these kids that are, you know, ADD and ADHD, and we've dug deeper into finding like, well, actually, the way that they take in and process information is different. And if we're only looking and teaching in one way, well, their brain is like, well, what else is going on? What else? That's not interesting to me. I don't even understand what you're talking about. So I'm going to go over here and then I'm going to go over here. And so there's been symptoms that we have seen that have forced many educators into looking a little more deeply. And then with, you know, different podcasts and, and just learning more and more about how the brain actually works and actually functions. Do we have more people today than we have before with these neurodivergent learnings, ADHD, ADD, these spectrum disorders that you mentioned, or 
do we have way better awareness and detection methods or is it a combination of the two? I think it's a combination of the two. I think it is a combination of the two in that there's evolution. Just like anything else, brains are evolving as well. And so I think there is also a lot more diagnosis, a lot more testing, a lot more trying to figure these out. So the record keeping is far different. You know, we have resources in schools that we never had before. We have executive function coaches for young students who are in, you know, five, six, seven years old. Um, and so with that and with neuroscience development that we have, it's a combination. You know, we really have more of these types of learners because we're able to test for it, number one. And I feel that parents and educators are becoming so much more aware. Like, I know something is not quite right here. Or, hey, what's going on here? How can I be this advocate for my kid to figure out sort of what's, what's not clicking for them? So there's a combo happening. What is the, what's the delay? It seems maybe this is my, this is my view of it. Mm -hmm. What's the delay in public education or even private school education in keeping up with this phenomenon? What is, why it, it feels, it feels like, um, like living down here in the DR, like I see people like uh, taking down sugarcane fields with a machete. It just feels like mm -hmm. we have way better methods today. Like, why are we not using a more <laughs> modern methodology? Why are we stuck there? And I mean, there's answers around cost of labor and stuff like that. I mean, you know, if I'm being technical, but it does feel like we keep kind of pounding away with a mallet when the, when the needed tools are a diverse grouping of screwdrivers and different types of wrenches and everything else. Like what is taking public school or why is public school resistant? Why are people needing to source homeschooling or alternative education methodologies as opposed to public school adapting? I, I will say like public school is adapting and there is, there are resources there. There are more resources in your public school today than there are in your small micro school that's maybe just starting to open or is a, a new alternative education. You're going to find many more resources in public education. Like what? What so kind of resources? Just give me an example. Um, so you'll have a BCBA, which is, you know, behavior analyst. You'll have your ASL, which is adaptive ALS, which is adaptive language therapy. You know, you'll have specialized reading instructors. You'll have math tutors, you know, kids that are leaving the larger classroom to go into smaller one-on-one -on -one groups who have shown signs of you know, things on their IEP, which is an ed ed learning process. I, sorry, it's a, it's a educational plan, an independent educational plan. So they are trying. It comes down to resources. Mm. It comes down to bottom lines, right? So just looking at the difference between like a private um, academic assessment versus uh, a academic assessment that you're going to get in public school. Just two very different things because they're looking for two different, very different end results. The public is looking for, you know, we just want to know how much time are they going to need with a reading instructor? How much time are they going to need in math? And so how many people do we need to hire and how do we use our resources? Whereas a private uh, academic assessment is going to get you more of hey, this, this learner needs 30 minutes of accommodations on testing, and we're seeing signs of dyslexia and dysgraphia. Here are the resources that you can use, meaning they might not be. So they're, ser they're serving two different purposes in a way, 
you know, so it's not that they're not having them. It's there's a system, and this is true of so many government systems, the people up here are making decisions for the people down here. And it just is a trick. It just takes a while. Like, that's a, that's a long way to go. So you have neuroscience and new neurological developments, and then how you implement those in schools. It's just taking, it takes a while. What does the future public school classroom look like in five, 10, 15 years? So oh, it's such a fascinating thing. You, you have a great, well, it's a great <laughs> point you made about like, there are more resources. I, I think about the public school in my town in Michigan. My wife went and visited it. Our kids don't go to public school, but she visited it before our first was going to go to kindergarten. And she grew up in an inner city, my wife, in uh, outside yeah. of Boston. She was blown away by, uh, there were, there were um, uh, what are they called? Uh, uh, support dogs. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. at the school. There were, there were, like you said, multiple different support type systems, but we live in an affluent town, right? So there's, there is a, there is a, like you said, it's a, it's a resource issue, but it also, if you have to lean on a private assessment, that usually means that the people that are able to get private assessments are uh, affluent or have a level of affluence. So it seems like you have, you have a continuing divide between the haves and have nots Often that comes across racial lines just based on on demographics. So what is a classroom? It feels like we're at a crisis mode, not maybe with resourcing on the, the, the recognition of neuroscience and the recognition of some of these issues, but more on curriculum structure and it evolving Absolutely. with people. So what does it look like in 5, 10, 15 years? Does it change? You know, I, mean, I mean, COVID hit and everybody <laughs> came home from school, right? Yeah. And more and more people made a different decision after that. They were like, well, we're either going back with the restrictions and because that's our place and that's where we need to go, or we are doing a 180 and we are homeschooling, world schooling, moving to the Dominican, like whatever it was. Right, right. Yeah. And, and moving over to private schools because in private schools, you have just different structures, different curriculum freedoms. You know, the public system has one type of curriculum for the most part that they're following. Now, do they, they go in and and review that every year and they change it and edit it. And so it's not exactly the same one as, you know, you and I grew up with, but there are more and more people going to private school. There are people, there are less and less people in public school every year. Now, will that maybe make a switch back? Possibly. Mm. Absolutely. You know, that could be it's hard to predict, you know, there are still grants and taxes and lots of money that goes into the public schools, but I'm sure I'm not the first one to say a lot of it is politicized now. And so people are looking for schools that are not politicized, that are not talking to our kids and have an agenda from a very young age. You know, I think the trend more and more is that we're looking for educating the whole child more and more families like well i'm okay if they're not reading you know perfectly and writing perfectly i want them to be a good person and so there's been a lot of that in the public schools and private schools as well but a lot of like you know the seven habits of highly effective people he did a whole series for public education Mm. and it was great that was my when our oldest son was in kindergarten it was really about moving through like my TED talk, I, I talked about the process of learning. And I think more and more we're interested in the process of learning, not shoving into their faces. You have to know how to write a five paragraph essay by this day. Or otherwise, you know, you're not going to get to this thing. That was our parents' generation. 
your kid had to be in the right school. And then if they were in the right school, you went to the right college. And if you went to the right college, like, yes, success. <laughs> we are preparing our kids for a world that we have no idea what it's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, 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 um, I don't know what the, what the, the percentage is now, but I think it's still high nineties or mid nineties, perhaps that are in public school and it trickles down, like you said. And I do wonder, is there a, is there a point at which, you know, is there, a, I don't know, is there an advantage just based on, on, you know, a te- number of teachers and resources to, you know, having that number trickle down to 85 or 88%, like, would that be a less of a strain on the system? But what is that line of demarcation? I wonder with like, wow, okay, people are running away from us in droves here. We need to make rapid, you know, massive changes as opposed to incremental changes. I don't know where that might be, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. You know, it's hard to make broad sweeping generalizations, right? Of like, oh, it's going to be all of public school. But what I have seen is that communities come together to fight for their community. And Mm -hmm. after COVID, there were a lot of people that didn't go back to public education. And there were also a lot of communities that fought that said, hey, we want our little elementary school to reopen. Like we, this is, and so I saw a lot of that too. A lot of communities coming together saying, we're going to fight for our kids and our community at this specific school, you know, and, and every school differs so much. And, you know, you can look at the great schools rating and two blocks away, a school's got, you know, four stars and half a mile down the road, it's got 10, Yeah. you know, it just, there's just a broad, there's just a broad span right now of what's happening. I, and look, I'm I'm on the I'm not a big fan of public education guy, so I'm glad we're having this discussion because I want to learn more about it. But I've always felt like the most valuable thing schools bring to a community is property value. To your point, a ten yeah. a ten on the grade schools rating. I want to be in that town, whether my kids use a school or not. Exactly. Everybody wants to be in that town as well. So um, exactly, like think about all the other things that are at play in our yeah. education system. Things like that. Things like resources. Things like the taxes that are coming from your local neighborhood. So if you are in an affluent neighborhood, it's going to be a better public school, you know, and still people are going to pull them out and go to a private school because it matches their values. Yeah. What I've learned taking my kids out of public school into more of a private, uh, not even private, but an alternative school environment. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of homeschooling uh, is aligned with the same philosophy of, Hey, let's have conversations. Let's get, let kids explore their curiosity Let's introduce concepts to kids and let them decide. Mm-hmm. Public school, I know a lot of scrutiny right now uh, is around sort of activism on some political, politicized items, Absolutely. CRT, gender affirmation or gender dysphoria, uh, all of that stuff. You come from education, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. What is the incentive and or what is behind the seemingly activist slant if that, unless it's not there, yeah. you tell me that public I mean, schools have, why, yeah. why is it there? Why is it such a, why are, why are public schools seemingly so like latched on to making sure that a narrative is pushed as opposed to a conversation? It's a great question. I don't think anyone actually knows the answer. You know, there, there's a lot of speculation and you could be on the conspiracy theorist side and you could be on the other side that says, hey, we fought for rights and this is the new conversation that we're all having. Look at us, we're so forward thinking and we're so open and we're so involved in, and being equal. There's that side of it, right? Yeah. And then there's the other side of like, we're grooming young, young children. And you know, it's really what you, what you believe. 
And I believe that it's coming from a government organization that is deciding what your kids will learn about who have no idea what that's like in the classroom. I taught in public school for a very short amount of time because it was all very laid out. You get your binder at the beginning of the year. This is what you will teach on this day. Your kids should know this by this time. Your students should be here by this time. And that for me took away the learning. It took away the excitement. And so, you know, when you have higher ups deciding what the curriculum is going to be for the next few years, you know, they're behind by a few years, right? So the, yeah. the curriculum's decided and then it comes trickles down into what's actually in the classroom several years later. And, and the pendulum has to swing big and then come back. So that's what I believe is happening at the moment as well of like, hey, here's this big thing. We're going to bring in all of these, you know, political agenda and we're going to talk about things that no one wants to talk about. And then everybody kind of brings it back in like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to be, that's not what we want. Um, and it is also my belief that those are not appropriate conversations for kids. They don't have to learn about racism because they have an open heart and they do not see it that way. I agree. So, no one like myself or you or so many of the brilliant educators out there are making those curriculums. They're not the ones. They're not the ones in the offices, right? They're not the higher ups in Washington saying like, this is what our kids, no. So those, then we have a voice. Then we have the ability to say, nope, uh-uh, that's not what learning looks like. And that's not actually how young children think. Yeah, no, makes perfect sense. Your kids are homeschooled or are they in public school or an alternative school? All of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Talk through that. We've tried it all. We've tried it all. So, you know, they started out in the neighborhood public school. I quickly decided that, you know, our oldest son, that just wasn't going to be challenging enough for him. And so I wanted an environment where he could kind of lead his own learning. And, and you know, each of our kids are so different. Mm. And so... They are off on different paths and then this worked out and it didn't. And then we needed to try homeschool for a little while. And we tried an outdoor school. And I, you know, I used to be really ashamed and feel really guilty that they were in so many different types of schools. And then I recognized that during different ages and stages, your kids may need different things. Mm. Like we have three different schools going on this year. Um, I don't take it personally, but my kids did not like homeschool. <laughs> that was not for them. They wanted friends and they wanted structure. And um, that was a great learning curve for all of us. And so, but, you know, having them home and having tutors that came to our home was, I think for them, one of the best though. They'll see it maybe later, um, you know, but one of the best things for them. Yeah. Social, social, uh, uh, they want to be social at that age, right? Or if they, if they have social tendencies, they'd rather be social mm -hmm. at that age. So now it makes sense. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, exactly. We have four boys. They're very competitive with each other. If we don't mix any other people in, it's really a WWF ring in all the good ways too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We give our kids while well, our older one, our second one's just going into what would be kindergarten this year. He's five, but the older one, every year we give him the option, like, do you want to go to a public school? You know, do you want to go to a regular school? And he's always says no. So we keep him in alternative schools down yeah. here. The, the option we found was a Montessori 
and it was good. Um, but even still, uh, the Dominican version of the Montessori still has a lot of, I don't know, public school feel to it. So it was a little right. bit more restrictive than he liked. <laughs> so we did find an alternative school that's sort of a Finnish American hybrid. Um, that's a bit more experiential learning and so on. So we're excited right. about that for potentially year two, if we decide to stay. For for parents now, what are some of the most challenging things that you hear thematically from parents in terms of just raising kids? What what are some of the, th the things parents are most challenged with on a consistent basis from ones you talk to? Um, technology is usually number one. You know, um, the other is boundaries and freedom. Like mm. how do how in today's world do we give our kids freedom? We got to go outside until it was dark out, but you know, I've let my kids do that. And sometimes they get returned, not in the neighborhood right now, but people would say, are these, are these yours? They're just, they're way, way down the street. Well, yep, that's, that's okay yeah. with us, you know? So boundaries and freedoms in today's world. And then technology, I think everyone is confused by what to do about technology. Yeah. The uh, boundaries thing. That's uh, the, the freedom part, I should say I've learned is very American. Here, it's mm -hmm. what you described of our upbringing. Kids disappear all day. They're gone. Yep. You know, nobody nobody thinks anything of it. You see six-year-olds walking on the sidewalk by themselves. Uh, it's an interesting flashback to my upbringing. Um, technology, uh, screen time, I'm assuming, is what, what yep. you're referring to. What are some things, are there, I mean, you know, other, obviously elimination of screens is, is the ideal for many parents, but we struggle with it, right? Like, you know, we're reliant upon them. So how do we not allow our kids? And they're so quiet and they don't, they're not getting into things. What are some things that you that people can do around screen time? What are what are some some things you've seen that are implemented? Maybe you've implemented yourself that have been helpful. Yes. So I think I, I think screen time has become like a dirty word, you know, and and actually a lot of the things that we think are caused by screen time have always been there. And if it wasn't this, it was something else. Like what? And so, well, meaning there was probably always depression, right, in young kids, but we have put a highlight on it possibly because of COVID. Um, kids have always had a hard time transitioning from one thing to another, right? Meaning stopping doing this and starting doing something else. And they've always struggled in some way with hearing something that they shouldn't, right? Everybody had a neighbor or an older kid friend who said an inappropriate word. And so some of those things have always been there. It's just, this is our thing for our generation being the first parents, this is the first generation that's had to deal with kids being born into Kindles, iPads, geared towards kids. And so it's new, we don't know what to do about it. It's a little bit scary because it's unknown. Um, it also keeps them from moving their bodies and playing outside. And so those are the things that I tend to focus on when I'm working with families on how do we put boundaries around screen time? Well, think about that's the time they're spending inside, not outside, which outside is better for anyone. It's better for everyone, right? Not just kids. Um, but when you think about a quiet kid playing with Legos or cars or reading, an hour tops. When you have a kiddo who's on their iPad, it can be two, two and a half, three hours. And so, you know, those are the, those are the matches. It's not, it's any kid who was inside hyper-focused on something would need a break. 
And so I'm trying to make it less of a dirty word as if we as parents are doing some horrible job by letting them, no, no, we're trying to, we're all trying to figure it out. You know, so finding the boundaries for yourself and your family that feel the most comfortable to you. And then having those conversations with your kids and they're not easy conversations. I mean, all of us, if you have an, a child who's under five, and you give them, you know, 30 minutes on the iPad, it, it's terrible when it's time to turn it off. Like, <laughs> no matter what, that's across yes. the board, right? Yeah. And so then we feel bad and they feel bad and like just sticking with it. Like, hey man, I know it's hard or, or lady, I know it's hard, but it's time to turn it off. And that's, and this is just the time. And like moving through those feelings and sticking to, what you know is probably the right amount of time for your family, you know, and How that, you... and that, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, just that, that, that's, that's really all there is to it. Yeah. Future millionaire women and future multimillionaire men. Listen up. I have something to tell you. And I had chat GPT write it for me. I haven't read it yet. So I'm going to read it right now and let's see how it does. Are you, are you ready to join a tribe that will elevate your life and business to the next level? Go abundance is the community for active entrepreneurial men who desire to live epic lives. And now with go abundance emerge men who are not yet multimillionaires and women who are not yet millionaires can experience the power of go abundance too. That's pretty good with the six life changing pillars. You'll experience peak physical condition, a supportive tribe, bucket list achievements, peer partnerships, giving back and building a lifetime of wealth. Plus, plus with GoBundance Emerge, you'll gain access to mentorship, training, accountability, and community that will help you accelerate your results and achieve your goals. Apply now to join the tribe and experience epic adventures around the world. Connect with like-minded individuals and elevate your life and business to the next level. Go to GoBundance.com, fill out an application, or if you're ready, for $5,000 a year or 500 a month, your call, go to GoBundanceEmerge.com and simply join us. If you're a millionaire, male, $1 to $2 million in net worth, you're going to get certain aspects of GoBundance Elite that you'll be able to tie into by being an Emerge member. And on the ladies' side, we've got tie-ins with our entrepreneur micro-tribe to the GoBundance women's uh, side of things, and they invite our our GoBundance Emerge uh, female members to their events consistently. GoBundanceEmerge.com. If you're not yet at that $2 million mark for a man or not yet at that $1 million mark for a woman where you could join GoBundance Women or GoBundance Elite, GoBundanceEmerge.com or simply go to GoBundance.com, fill out an application, and I might be calling you back to the show. How do you and Jason, on this or any other issue, co-parent, if you will, given, you know, look, Jason's, a, Jason's an entrepreneur, as are you. Jason's a driven dude. Um, you know, there's an energy that goes with that. Call it masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. So I know for me, you know, I'm more, kids need discipline. You know, I, they got I, the, the foot needs to come down, right? And my wife wants to, you know, ask better questions and, you know, what seems soft and passive to me. Mm -hmm. In this context or any context, you can, you can expand beyond screen time. It doesn't really matter to me. But for, I'm, I'm curious how you and Jason have communicated have worked on, have had maybe some issues with, I don't know if you have or haven't, um, that, that dichotomy or that, that, that very different energy that a father brings and a mother brings and mm -hmm. how you, how you ensure that each of you allow the other to be without, without maybe overruling or overriding or confusing the kids with two different uh, messages or two different energies. I, it's a bit of a broad question, but I guess I'm trying to figure out 
I'd love to learn from you because I know every couple probably struggles with this. I know we do. I'm sure you do as well. But just some things that have worked for you around that, like foot is dead. You ever see that movie? Um, what's the movie with uh, the the uh, the 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 different emotions? Oh yeah, uh, Inside Out. Inside Out. There's the yes. scene where brilliant metaphor. Oh, it's yes. a great movie. I think they were yes. high. Somebody had to be high who wrote that. Because <laughs> just think about it, like, all right, man, look. We're going to have a little yellow girl, man. Like Joy is going to be running around. Had to be stoned out of their mind to write that movie. Which I, because which it's brilliant. And all of the emotions are spot on. Spot on. Yes. But there's that scene where the father's sort of absentmindedly sitting at the table and the daughter's getting a little sassy. And the, the, either the father's brain is like, we're detecting some sass. And they do the whole like the turn the keys. The foot is down. And he's like, that went well, but his wife's like, well, that went terrible. That scene, yeah. how do you yeah. communicate effectively in that setting so that you're not vilifying one another for how you are as parents, given the different yeah. types of energies you bring? Oh, it's such a brilliant question, Jamie. And why I love working with entrepreneurial families too, because this is super common. It's super, it's common for a lot of families, but particularly there is this dynamic in entrepreneurial families where the, the mom tends to be like very, forward thinking, kind of advanced, open-minded about love language and wanting to have open communication and really nurture the relationship. And, and dad tends to be the entrepreneur who is working all the time. who's got a million things going on, you know, balancing the family and travel and work and taking care of themselves. And so there is a disconnect. There is a struggle there for almost all of us because we're juggling so many things. And, and I think what we do is a lot of times we come back together at the end of the day and just say like, okay, what, what could have gone better? What, what should we do in the future? Like what isn't working? And, and let's, let's look at that as the situation. So that's kind of where I came up with the four P's that I use in parent Academy, which is pause, peace, um, perspective, and purpose. So like, Hey, let's everybody take a pause. All right, find like some kind of breath or somewhat of a peaceful place. Perspective, like what actually happened? Did we spill a glass of water at the table or and somebody or somebody spoke inappropriately or is someone bleeding, right? Like it's easy to lose perspective. Mm. And then purpose, like what was the purpose of all of that happening? Like what are we supposed to learn from these interactions, right? So we have these about screen time or you know, I expect our children to do a certain amount of chores. Now, if they don't do them, the natural consequences, man, yeah, I guess you're, you're out of underwear. Like you got nothing left to wear or, oh, I guess, yeah, you didn't, you didn't unload the dishwasher. So there's no cups or you didn't start it. You know, so I'm more on the natural consequences side where at the end of a long day, Jason may come down and say, it's a mess in here and there's all stuff all over the place. And why isn't, so there's, there's just different ways that you do things, but in the end, you're actually trying to accomplish the same goal. You're, yeah. you're both in it together. And so yeah. it's really nice at the end to just come back together and go, oh, I see. We actually want the same things. Um, what is, what is something, this is a great, I love the way you framed it up. Cause that's it. You, that's exactly my family. That's exactly me and my wife, what you just described exactly. Right. Like I'm go, go. And yeah, my patience level is much less, especially at the end of the day, she's more forward thinking. And I don't know if you do this to Jason, but my wife does this to me. I will get these, these, um, uh, reels 
sent to me oh. of, uh-huh. you know, different influencers speaking on topics of parenthood as <laughs> like, as these passive aggressive, actually not even passive, aggressive uh-huh. hints at, at what I should uh-huh. be thinking about or something we should talk about. Like you said, pause, peace, perspective, purpose. Let's have this discussion yeah. on this, right? So that's, that's my household. What would you say to a group of women in this, in this scenario? Because our, our mm-hmm. listeners, the GoBundance type of person, mostly men, yeah. right? But if we have got wives of a bunch of entrepreneurs in a room, what would you say to them? Like, hey, look, your husbands are going to be this way. I know they are. You need to allow them X. What do they need? What do wives need to be more patient with in terms of the attribute or reaction of the husband around parenting? And then yeah. I want to flip it and ask you the opposite. Like, what okay. do men need to, need to need to be more patient with? So this is a great question and very well stated. Of we as parents are always working on our own nervous systems. So if you've got your husband coming out of like a go, go, go day, his nervous system is like shot, right? You've been like pedal to the metal all day long. Don't take it too seriously. Don't take it too to heart. You know, if, if you come out and you just need a minute, you need a minute, they need a minute. It's also okay to say, to, to ask your kids, like, how did that feel? How did it feel when dad came down here and said that? Uh, and it kind of felt crummy or eh, it was a reminder that I need to do the dishes. Like you as moms are always mama bear, right? We're thinking like, how could you say that? How do you do that? This, look at who they are. Like sometimes it's okay to just ask the kiddos and see what their actual interpretation of what happened is. What do you do my- with that? What if it's a negative interpretation? Do you take it yeah. to him? So let's say something happens. How did that make you feel? How did dad, what dad said? I didn't like it. It kind of hurt my feelings. All right. Do you want me to help you have that conversation with them? Like, yeah, sure. Okay. Hey, can you listen for a second? Cause you know, somebody wants to talk to you. And that to me is like, that's Mm. if it's a rupture and a repair or it's connection over correction, right? That's such a wonderful phrase. And I did not make it up. Um, it's just that idea of connection over correction. Like what happened? Yep. That kind of hurt my feelings when you said that. Okay. Cause that is way more powerful than any real we could ever send you. <laughs> That's true. You, you send them though. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, I'll really see one. That's like, yep, that. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. All right. Flip it, flip it. So, so speak to the guys out there. What, what do they need yeah. to be more tolerant of? Um, you know, give more space for in terms of their wives' yes. reactions or, or in that setting? Yes. Understand that your house is chaos and it's going to be messy and loud. It's going to be intense. It is. You know, I think sometimes we, and, and Jason and I have had this conversation, like I expect to walk in and I expect the kids to stop and say, hi, dad, we're so glad you're here. No, half the time, it's just been a, a mess of a day, total chaos everywhere. So just tune in really quickly, even if it's just really quickly to yourself, take a deep breath, like know that you're going in the trenches, like just know if you expect that and it's not that, hallelujah, like enjoy. If you go in and you're expecting that and you can look around and go, yeah, there is, okay. But I'm, I'm able to handle it because really for most of the time, it is the settling down of our nervous system. You need to go for a run, take a walk, like give yourself that 15 extra minutes 
because that that could change your whole evening. Wow. Okay. That's good. So, so for, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's settling down, allowing for, for the understanding, cause you're right. It is chaos when I walk out there and, uh, and, and it does, it's frustrating. So I'm tuned up. My nervous system is on edge and now I just want things to be done so that I don't have to deal with them in the house. Right. I, I want to talk about parents parenting in an age of affluence. And I, I don't, that's not about rich, poor, but there's a lot of there's a lot of services that are done for us in our homes more I feel like than when we were kids, mm-hmm. cleaning people people that come clean the house. I mean we're in the extreme here like labor is not that expensive so everything's done cooking cleaning laundry everything's done for us seven days mm-hmm. a week uh, in this house. But there are families that have something very close to that. Mm-hmm. How do you this conversation actually popped up in GoBundance uh, a, a member put in there like hey I feel like I'm raising bratty kids. I feel like I have bratty kids because mm-hmm. they have they, the 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 idea is that they don't have any of the I don't know challenges or the need to be gritty like the parent did when they were a kid. My our generation, if you will. Mm-hmm. How much of that is real? How meaning like yeah, hey, you, you do need to train some grit in your kids. How much of that is you just not remembering that as an eight year old? you know, you were a brat too. It's just as a different mm-hmm. kind of bratty. And as mm-hmm. you grew and matured, you were able to figure out, you know, what was and wasn't, uh, uh, you know, normal or whatever it may be. I don't know. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you coach a parent in that respect? Cause there was a lot of guys. I was, I was surprised. And I, I have this fear as well. Like, are my kids too spoiled? There's a lot of guys yeah. with that concern that their kids are too sure. bratty or too spoiled. How do you overcome that? Or how do you manage that? Or how do you coach that? So it's a great question. And it's a really good way to like look in and see what are your family values? Like, what are you valuing? Do you value hard work? And then if you see your eight year old not working hard, are you like, oh, I'm disappointed. You're not working hard enough. The other part of that is that you have, and these dads in GoBundance I'm speaking to as like a general you, you have solved a problem for them that they don't have to solve. Hmm. So they're just coming in on a totally different level. And that's really something to remember because it's not something that they lack unless in your heart you say, I really want them to know. Like, here's an example. I want my boys to know how to do their laundry, clean the toilet and empty the dishwasher because someday they're going to find a woman. And if they meet this woman and they don't know how to do X, Y, and Z, she's going to be like, who were your parents? (laughs) I think that's important. That is my value. I want them to know how to do these things so that they don't have to rely on a woman to do them later. If that's what happens in their marriage, great. If they never get married, even better. Now you know how to take care of yourself. So, (laughs) but at the same time, we do have people that do all those things for us. And we do, when they want something, they can have it. And that is a problem that they don't have to solve. And so there's a gift in there and there's a gratitude in there that they're not going to have because they don't know the flip side. They don't know anything else, mm-hmm. you know? So bratty, bratty can come from, you know, anything. It can come from a judgment from us as parents saying like, well, you're, I, don't, I don't see you working hard because maybe their working hard looks different than ours. But it also can be a trigger that, that's a family value. Coming up with family values together is just, 
it's probably the most important piece that a lot of families don't take the time to do because why would you take the time to do that? Um, and so you can go back to those and say, this is something that I value. Maybe it's, um, you know, individuality, maybe it's respect, maybe they're not, and, and finding ways in your life to teach your children respect, not that they're bratty because they're not doing their own laundry or, you know, more like, are we really, are we really making, doing, intentionally teaching our kids how to respect other people, how to respect us? What are the boundaries that we are setting for ourselves? You know, saying to your children, you may not speak to me that way. Please say please and thank you. You can do that in a really connected and respectful way and have boundaries around how you as a parent are treated as a lesson in saying, this is how you treat others as well. Yeah. That's great. You, you brought up you brought up a thought for me on this around you mentioned family values and it triggered this thought and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll I'll frame it as a question. Sharing ideas is is a great thing. I think sharing ideas is amazing. Yeah, you know when I when I meet with other other men that are that are in the same space as I am and we share ideas, we all grow from that. Yeah. We we share a lot of ideas as parents. Uh, anybody does, shares a lot of ideas as parents. Family values is an example of that. Creating family values, having family boardroom meetings, all of that stuff. There's so much. Yeah sort of personal development speak that's extended now to the family. It's not just about the self-development. It's like self-development yeah. within the family. And it can be overwhelming for kids. I think one variable that is often overlooked when, and I know I, I'm guilty of this, so I'm sure others are, is when I hear these ideas, I love the ideas for implementation in my family, but the one factor I'm not even asking about or considering is like, well, what's the age of your kids in mm -hmm. terms of the time of implementation? So give me a sense of that. Like, you know, what's, what is a three to five or a six-year-old capable of ingesting? Like, is family values the right conversation at age 10 or 12? Or, or you know, like, can you give me any yep. sense of, like, you can start with that if you want. Like, where, what, at what age are family values the right thing to have a discussion with? And then if there's anything else that jumps to mind for you in terms of different sort of techniques or tactics and being mindful of aging on that, I'd love to hear from you on that. Absolutely. I think a lot of families think we come up with our family values and they're set in stone and that's what they are forever. No, you should reassess them like every year mm -hmm. <laughs> because your kids are growing and because they're capable of more, because they're capable of understanding more and because things become more relevant. So for example, ours right now are cooperation, kindness, respect, and fun. Fun was in there because we had the type of conversation that was like, what do you guys want to make sure we do more of? How do you want to be treated? How do you want to be treated as a person versus, hey, what are our values? I don't even know what values are most of the time, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we had conversations that said, wow, that sounds like respect. You want someone to ask you first before you take something from them, right? So putting it in a context that they can really understand through scenarios, um, through specific examples, uh, for, ex for example, some sibling, something that happened between siblings or something that you did that felt really good. You know, cooperation is a big one for us because there's six people in our family. If you're not cooperating, you're like, I mean, we're not getting anywhere. And so that's a big word. I used examples saying, hey, when, so, when, when one of you guys just said, hey, go ahead, you can have a turn next. That's cooperation. Who agrees that that would be a really nice thing to do more of? And then as they get older, right, as they get older, maybe they want freedom. Maybe, they, maybe it's independence. 
maybe it's more responsibility. And so being Hmm. able to scale those conversations to things that are relevant to them, because what you really want to be able to do is refer back to your family values when you are going through conflicts or making decisions as a family. Like when we say, hey, that wasn't respectful. And that's one of our family values. Or, hey, guys, I noticed like we haven't had a lot of fun lately. And fun is one of our family values. Like, who wants to do something fun? And everybody gets to choose something fun. You know, it doesn't mm. always have to be about reprimanding. It's also a reminder of like, yeah, that's true. We got to get together and like have more fun. Do you have to control for the values to be relevant first for the youngest in the family? I would say they, they at least need to come up with one on their own if possible, because that means they, when they have, and this is something that we did a lot of in self-directed education, they came up with their own contract of how to behave in the classroom, in the studio. And so that's what I brought home and it worked so brilliantly. I was like, oh, why we should just do this all the time, but everyone needs to say, everyone should have a voice because it be, then it belongs to them and they have purpose in it and it's relevant. And if they're the youngest and they, you know, want to make sure anything, play, fun, um, candy, like whatever it is, you can put it in the context of like, maybe we should have authority. Authority is a big one. You should, yeah, you should be able to choose sometimes, not all the time, but it can be a value. But yeah, yeah everyone should have a say. It feels like there's a lot of pressure today in parenting. I don't know if that's just because this is the only time that people our age have been parents. You know, like we didn't recognize the pressure in parenting from before. I don't know if it's because we're in a connected era. I, I don't know. But what is that? Why why did, why yeah. does it feel like there's so much pressure, uh, so much, I don't know, identity wrapped up in this, this, this idea of being a parent? Yes. Uh, so this is why I created Parent Academy, because- we as parents have more pressure in today, and that could change, who knows, because we have so many more decisions. We have so many more possibilities. Like it is this big, wide world. There's like 16 different types of schools, probably in a 10 mile radius from wherever you are. When we were growing up, there was like one, you know, now there's a million different careers. There's just a whole different world that we live in now. And I think for parents, you know, it's, it's so broad, it's hard to measure success. And so, and it's hard to be an advocate for your kid to like learn about who they are, and then look out for them in this big wide world. You know, and that's where technology and things like that come up. But that's why I created this mentorship and support community is so that we could have these conversations. When someone says, like I did earlier, oh, you're going to go into a public school, you're going to have a BCBA, you're going to have an ALT, then you're going to have your IEP. And people are just, I don't know, what is that? I don't know what that is. Um, and so, you know, to know what you're sending your kids into and know what, what they're about and what's possible for them. For us, it was just more like you went to trade school, you went to college, career. Well, there's some statistic, like, I think, People, adults now have between, uh, I think there's an average of like 10 careers, 10 different careers and multiple different kinds of jobs. So there's no more like, I went to this trade, I stayed there. I went to this corporation, I stayed there. I retired 40 years later, got my pension and I'm all good. And so that's, that's just, we're inundated with 
decisions and fears and yeah. fears. Yeah. Tons, tons, you know, all the tons news, human trafficking and all this other stuff, even right. Everything's in the forefront. Right. Everything's in the forefront. It just feels right. like everything ends with, are you a good parent or are you not? So it does feel like yeah. a lot of pressure. Tell me a bit more right. about parent Academy. What, what, what does that look like? What is a, what is parent Academy? I, I understand what it's seeking to serve, but give me an idea. Somebody joins yeah. what happens. So parent Academy is an online mentorship and support community where we talk about all kinds of topics. We have a weekly call three weeks out of the month and there's a different topic every month is through circle and so it's a membership you will join uh we'll do a couple of retreats this year i'll do a couple of workshops in different cities um announced tba and um and then creating this sense of community for parents because the other thing that has happened is that we are no longer tribal right? This is your whole podcast. Here's your tribe. It, we're not tribal. A lot of us are home by ourselves trying to figure all this out. I think the number one thing that I saw working in classrooms was parents loved seeing what other parents were doing. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and if you can find your tribe and you can love them hard, as they say, or be in the trenches with them or find support, community conversations, um, you know, that's, that's what I think a lot of parents are seeking. So after 20 plus years of talking to parents and being in the, in schools and classrooms and parent coaching, it's, it's a thread is that sometimes parents feel lonely. Yeah. Is this, for, uninformed. is this for, you know, like both parents to attend yeah. one of the two, does it matter? Yep. So it's for moms and dads. Um, primary caregivers, grandparents, aunts, uncles. It's really about how to be an advocate for your kid, meaning learning about the kid that you have, not the one that you wish you had or the one that you hope they grow into. Mm -hmm. This is like who's sitting in front of you and how do they help you grow? That's the other piece. You and your husband are both in the personal development coaching space. Yes. How does that dynamic play in your, in your relationship? <laughs> coaching each other? you know, uh, all of that. I'm just curious how that plays out. for the Yeah. Team. It's, it's interesting because Jason has always said forever, you can coach anyone except your wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. But what it's about you? Do, you? do you coach him? I wait for him to ask, you know, no one likes somebody to come over their shoulder and go, you know what you could have done. You know what you should do. Um, <laughs> that's the worst. Let me so ask this. I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I also think parenting is is a journey for every individual and someone can tell you how to do it all day long that's why when you go to the parenting section there's like 700 books on how to be a parent because you kind of have to figure some things out on your own mm. you kind of have to go through it yourself because the joys are so joyful and the lows can be really low but if you're if someone's telling you how to go find the joy it's just not as juicy it's just not as good Whereas if you built that connection and you and your children have gone through the ups and downs and it's just, it's a different, it's different for everyone. You, you've gone through, it sounds like different iterations throughout your relationship. You were, you were uh, a teacher for a time. I know Jason left his job, went to be a Tony Robbins coach. You chronicled all of this on Brandon's podcast, which was great. Yeah. I enjoyed listening to that. Okay. How do I want to ask this question? So I, I feel like there is a vilification, not by anybody, but just sort of societally 
of the roles of each part of a marriage, especially in a traditional marriage, man, woman. I like killing. So does your husband, right? I like going out and, and, you know, and, and, and slaying and getting things done. Right. But that, that has been viewed as toxic in some ways, right. From a masculinity standpoint, that's kind of toxic. So you have to tamp that down, you know, in order to not be some, you know, ooga booga, whatever, man. And on the flip side, there's a sense that if you're as a woman, if your desire is to spend a portion of your your life as caretaker, as mom and homemaker or whatever, like you're some sort of, you know, pariah in the in the in the idea of feminism, right? Like the feminists will come after you in that regard. Just for you and Jason, you can't speak for unless you, however you want to take it. But I'm just thinking, you know, to bring it home for you. How have you managed that or or what advice would you give based on your 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 uh, your you know, different phases of life to not feel like, you know, Jason is toxic because he's, he's, you know, exercising the whole of his masculinity and for you not to feel like, uh, Hey, I am less than because I've decided to be a, a homeschooling, you know, mom and, and all of that. And maybe, maybe sidestep the career for a little bit. Yeah. I really struggled with that on my side. Um, I had, I owned preschools before I got pregnant and I realized that I couldn't really do both, not, not joyfully, not happily. Um, and so I left, I gave up my school and, you know, to go home and work. And then, and then Jason decided to do a whole different career. Like, this is what I'm doing. I'm not asking for permission. I'm just, this is what's happening, you know? And I really had to sit with that very deeply because I was home, not working, raising kids. And I really had conversations with myself of this can either be the greatest time or it can be miserable. And I truly decided day after day to jump into being with my kids in the wonder of experience that it was. And then I would get tired of that and I would go, okay, now I got to go to work. I got to like, I got to go, I got to get out of here. I got to go do something. And, and I did, I worked in little side jobs. I was like co-oping at a preschool. I ended up going back to work in there. I ended up like taking this whole course on being a parent coach and doing some parent coaching. So I was a little bit of a restless soul at that time. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling the pull of just really wanting to be home. Um, and then also the pull of like, yeah, but, but uh, I need a bigger something and yeah. to not feel badly about that, to really embrace, you know, now my kids are school age. And the first thing I thought of was like, that's amazing. I'm so excited. Everyone wants to go to school and I'm going to start a new business. Not because I felt like I had to, but because I felt like it was exciting and yeah. I wanted to, you know, and I, I have said this a lot of times is that you, and I, and I said this on Brandon's podcast too your partner is their own person and the expectation that you have for them is great and it's wonderful and good luck with all of that. But they, at the end of the day, will be their own person. So embrace who they are and their journey. And I think Jason said it was like sometimes being solo together. You know, of you're so deeply involved and invested in your path and your choice. And I am like, deeply invested in being home and clearly having a lot of babies because I ended up having a lot of babies. 
<laughs> you go for the girl was number four a shot at the girl ah uh, you know what you don't get to choose i really <laughs> learned that they they chose each other i look at the four of them and i think that was just that was their choice they're my uh, my wife my wife thinks there's a different dynamic in her friend. We have boys. So she thinks uh -huh. there's a different dynamic in her friends, her mom friends that have boys versus those that even have one girl. Like the the, oh, the, totally. the boy moms to her are more whatever. <laughs> like it happened. And we're girl, girl moms per her. This is, I'm throwing my wife on the bus. I'm, Girl moms are a little bit more on it. Like, oh, no, no, wait, we got this. We got this. Like the boy mom, throw them in the car. Here's a, we don't stop. We don't make stops anymore. They no. pee in a giant uh, almond milk bottle on, on tries. It's incredible. It's the <laughs> You feel the same way, boy, mom, girl, mom? I do. There's just little certain things that I don't have to think about. And they're all one. And so there's also other things I don't have to think about. And so, yeah, just adapt to what is. I, it is sometimes heartbreaking to me. And I say this to them. So I'm not saying this is in a mean way of like, I truly will not have a daughter. I may have, I'll have, there'll be girls around, but it is, it is sometimes still a, a shock to me that I will not have a daughter, you know, but I have friends who have girls and I adopt them and I have all nieces, which is lovely. Where the, where are the boys? Other than that, they have all nieces. Oh, I have wow. all, they're all girl cousins. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. So Interesting. Huh? You filled a role. You filled a, a need in your family then. So good yeah. job. Yeah. But it is uh, what I like about Parent Academy, from what I've read about, learned about, saw on, on your social platform that you're doing with it, and really coming home talking to you here is it it is it is a bit more. It sounds to me like your considerations are a bit more than just the parent parent child relationship. There's the dynamic between parents as well. There's sort of that that we talked about it, the dad, mom, masculine, feminine, whatever it might be. That's a factor in this. You've always brought it back to that. So I'm excited for what you're launching. How do people learn more about it? How do they get uh, to, to kind of dive in? Is there a website? Where can, where can you direct folks? Yes, alexastrees.com. That's where you can go. There's a landing page there. It'll take you over to Circle. I'm launching in September. You know, and so we're still in the beginning phases of building and I'll launch a calendar for what the year is going to look like. Um, but that's where you can go get more information. You can also follow me on Instagram at Parent Academy Community. Beautiful. Alexis, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much, Jamie. Appreciate it.